0: We do this not because it is easy, but because we thought it
1: was
0: easy. Welcome to the show, Hashing It Out. Uh, Shane from XMTP. I wanted to try and bring you on to learn more about what XMTP XMTP is trying to do. So why don't you do the normal thing, give us an introduction, kind of where you come from, what XMTP is, and we'll dive into it. For sure. Uh,
2: Thanks for having me. It's good to see you guys. I like this vibe in this basement we're in. It's incredible. Uh, XMTP is a, a secure messaging protocol for web three. And so our goal is to allow any walled address in the world to be able to communicate with any other walled address. Uh, and you know, we've been working on it a little over, a little over like two years, me personally, I've been in messaging my whole career. And so I was back in, uh, the early days when I was like 13 years old, I was on eBay selling baseball bats because I was a baseball player. And I realized that from 10 to 12 to 13, you go through three different bats and your mom buys you three different bats with a different weight limit every year. And I didn't want the old bat, put it on eBay, sold for 150 bucks, charged some people 60 bucks shipping and handling, it's like robbery. And uh, all my friends' moms bought them bats, no one wanted the old bat. So I started selling them, but really the ability to like connect with strangers, meet people, sell things, And it all led to just communication kind of was one of those just early curiosities I had. And so from that to to college, I started building a way for uh, Facebook photos to show up on top of email back in 2005. And so I was trying to make email more human or more social. And back then it was creepy as fuck. Mm -hmm. Like, people are like, why are you connecting my Facebook and my LinkedIn and my email? These are different worlds. These are different lives. Offline and online haven't really happened yet. You didn't really meet people online that you knew offline. Like, that kind of didn't exist. College was a little different. When I saw Facebook, I was like, I know all these people. Uh, but, you know, over time, that led to a company called Gist.com, which was the first social CRM to ever take, like, social data and map it to emails. And we grew to about 100 million people in under two years. And in 2010, BlackBerry bought us and I worked on BBM. And really when I saw BlackBerry Messenger, that was the light bulb for me. That really kind of felt like the future. I was like, this is how the future should work. This is how people should interact. This is how brands should interact. You know, the double check mark that you could see Mm -hmm. if someone read it in a BBM pin code and then your status was BBM and that's why you bought phones. And I realized how much value people put on like the status of having a blackberry messenger pin code and since that day i think messaging has kind of become something that people really identify with and it drives their behavior you know as much as the blue bubble sells iphones i think back then it was BBM, and so i worked on messaging for the next 10 years and still working on messaging
1: awesome what are so knowing all that and, and dealing with the environment of, of crypto and uh, the, the pseudonymity, the anonymity, how difficult has it been to kind of get some of those same, uh, that same excitement that you just mentioned, you know, the double check, the blue check. Those are things that drive people to these different softwares, believe it or not. So how difficult has it been to emulate some of those uh, vibes with crypto? I actually feel like maybe
2: I walked in a little late. You guys have been here a lot longer than I have. My co-founders kind of really... OG crypto, you'd say, been around since the beginning of both Bitcoin and Ethereum. And I was working on a company for 10 years doing messaging on SMS, Messenger, WhatsApp, et cetera. And I think what's interesting to me is, you know, it all started when this guy named Robert Leshner from Compound, he was like, hey, I have $11 billion in a smart contract. I have 11,000 people who own it. And I know everyone's address, but I can't talk to 95% of them. And he's like, why, like, why can't I send an email or an encrypted message to these people? Um, and that was in like 2020. And so just when I really started thinking about it, I was like, is the walled address a new identity? Could it be the new email address or phone number? And then the more I got into the space and the more I listened to my co-founder, Matt, he's like, the identity movement is happening. And so I actually think what's been cool is the wave is actually riding with us and identity in the way it's talked about I think is going to be a little different which is what's interesting about owning your identity versus renting your identity you rented it from instagram you rented it from facebook you rented it from twitter versus owning it is actually the opportunity for everyone to own any brand style they want as their identity and use that is the double check mark of this world so because I can actually have any identity resolved to a messaging app not i have to use an instagram handle on instagram dms my dot crypto address or my dot ens address or my dot polygon address or my dot swoosh address because i want to associate with nike as all this movement of everyone going after identity i actually feel like it's not one identity wins out in the future it's that everyone has their unique identity and the affinity to that and because you can own it and they're interoperable and it works in a composable way everyone's going to have all these All these different identities, but they're going to be able to work for utility in ways that all work together. And I actually think that movement, like even on XMTP, we support .ENS, .Farcaster, .Lens, Unstoppable Domains, like all of them, CBID, and they all work together. You know, and I default to an ENS name, and you default to a Farcaster name, and you default to a Lens name, and they love the .Polygon, right? And I feel like what's cool is that movement's kind of like happening right alongside messaging. And messaging is just utility to identity. And so for me, it actually feels like those little features around red states and uh, double check marks and which app you're using might be actually more tied to identity in this movement than features on kind of the messaging app.
3: That's pretty interesting. So you, okay, so you, what piqued your interest back when you were doing like um, social media in the beginning, so you mentioned that Facebook was interesting to you and it sparked your uh, excitement because you knew the people who were being matched up with the profiles, right? In that same vein, you know, crypto kind of disintermediates who people are in real life to who their actual handles are online. You know, like sometimes you have pseudonymous Twitter accounts or you have, you know, ENS addresses that, you know, these people do malicious things or maybe they're doing, you know, benevolent things. They're white hat hackers that are trying to disclose information. Where does... XMTP kind of sit on the whole privacy issue?
2: Yeah, I think for me, privacy is the most important and the most exciting thing for the entire space. I think even as open blockchains become private, as consent becomes private, as attestations start moving in, zk proofs, like privacy, I think, is the thing that actually takes this mainstream. And so if it goes to the identity play, what's interesting is actually interacting based on common context. And this feature for me is the most magic feature. So if I go into Coinbase wallet and...
1: Coinbase. I, <laughs> it's a thing. Sorry. It's an well, thing.
2: <laughs> so if I go in here and I go to my PoApps, right? So they have this thing here and I can go into my PoApps and I can click on XMTP Paris and I can see every single person with that same thing and I can send them a message. I can see their ENS name, whether it's anonymous, whether it's pseudonymous, whether it's just the wallet address, like it doesn't matter. But the shared context and then the ability to communicate is the magic flip that I think is almost like why Twitter was amazing Mm -hmm. and then it led to DMs, but on steroids. So the idea of on-chain data is actually the Instagram feed of the future, which leads to your interest, which then discovers people. Whether you're anonymous or not, the shared context of being able to have history that you can see, and find those common connections. Actually, you then are in control of how you reveal your identity, and in what sequence, and whether or not you reveal it over time. But we know why to start talking, and I actually feel like that that hook and use case is one of the most interesting. That's really hard today.
0: I think that's also going to be something that um, people start to become more aware of. Is like you've 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 mentioned. One side of the coin with respect to privacy and that is like people who disclose things on a blockchain are immediately putting something out into the public totally. and the the problem that your friend had who had all this money coordinated with a bunch of other people but he couldn't talk to them, is a situation where like I have an address on a blockchain associated with money and I want to talk to them and that's a really good coordination mechanism but the the opposite side of that coin is that um, if I'm talking to somebody, I don't necessarily want them to know what funds I have in my address. Oh. And so when you make that, that connection, people are starting to become more aware of like the things I'm putting on chain are slowly allowing people to aggregate more information about me, and that may or may not be good. But like, how do you do the opposite side of that, where you'd like to maybe selectively disclose what I have while still being able to communicate with people?
2: It's the single thing that's the most exciting to me that I think we're focused on. Have you used Hide My Email on the iPhone? No. So there's a new feature that Apple did, and it allows you to spin up a random email address for every relationship and interaction you have. So if I go to sign up on a website or log into a website, I can actually say Hide My Email, and Apple makes smac19495939 at iCloud.com. And every relationship is a unique email address. To me, what they're doing is the future of ZKs. And this all flips. I actually believe that voyeurism around your net income of what I own in my wallet is the thing that's actually stopping crypto from
0: growing. Mm -hmm. It would be from a business perspective, from a privacy perspective. all kinds of things. The reason the world
2: doesn't use it is because DGENs running around bragging about their wealth is not the future. And the reality
1: (laughs) is... Quote that, quote that.
2: The reality is when this flips... It should be my identity and my identity can be an email address with all the things happening with chains, with smart contract wallets and account abstraction and all the ability in the future where every identity in the world, including my Twitter handle, including my phone number, including my email can then have a wallet address. Everything's going to be able to map to the ability to own digital things. The second step of that is your identity then is the thing controlling thousands of wallet addresses. And I should have a wallet address for my tickets, for my Bitcoin, for my ETH, for my et cetera, but that should be controlled under my master wallet, which is my identity, which then can decide to be public or private with everything below it and reveal that relationship or not. And what's interesting is that the fact that Apple hacked this as a feature where every time I sign up on the web, it gives me a, a fake email. And then I go in there and it says shane at shane.mac.com, my personal email. And then I have all these fake emails and it says Nike, fake email. Apple, fake email. Person, a creator I signed up to, fake email. And that was a, that's like an insight of they're hacking it today because it's so valuable for the user to control their relationships. And I actually feel like you have a unique wallet address for every single relationship in the future. That's all mapped back to a master wallet. That is in control of those wallets. And that relationship should be up to you to disclose when to to share things, what identity to share, if you want to share assets, a single asset. And I think like your assets will live in its own wallet and the identity will be the controller of what can be revealed to who. A lot of work has to be done to make that simple. But even the fact that Apple kind of made it simple in a total hacked way and the fact that Apple cared enough to make a feature that was putting users in control of your relationships. It reminds me of like the innovation of RAMP. I don't know if you've ever used the credit card RAMP. No, I didn't, but I
0: think I know what you're talking about. It's phenomenal,
2: and the innovation was it flipped where you used to use one credit card number for all your brands. Now there's a unique credit card number for every brand. So you control every single relationship you have in your business on a single credit card number basis, and if you wanna turn it off, change the budget, whatever, kill that credit card number. That's the same as every interaction of a follower, every interaction of a sender, every interaction with your creator, every interaction with a business or ticket, et cetera. I believe you're going to have thousands of wallet addresses
0: and you're going to be in control of the relationship with them. How do you do that though? How do you, how do you build that in a way that... Because um, this is something that I've noticed over time being in crypto for so long is as I've played with new things, I create new accounts because I don't want the specific assets tied to each other, or I don't want to like, you know, use an account that has a lot of value in it on something new and sketchy that might break it or whatever. I end up having this management problem where I don't know where everything is, and I don't remember how to like uh, identify what thing belongs to what. Right? You think that the amount of things I have to control explodes. If you want to have That level of fine-grained control, how do you make it usable for people? Because that's another problem, is that, like Apple, you need to make it easy and intuitive to use while also having that kind of privacy and control feature.
2: Honestly, Apple, ramp they're already doing exactly this, and everyone who uses those tools are like, wow, this is incredible. We just need to actually bring more user experience and better products into the space to start doing this. The fact that, like, crypto almost prides itself on how hard it is to use is crazy. People are like, I I could figure it out. Yeah. I'm like, it's not how it should work. And I think we have to do a lot better job simplifying these products to feel like the best products of like the web two era. And it's cool because a lot of talent is now coming into the space, a lot of design thinking, um, and it's not that hard, but a lot of things had to infrastructure get in place. So when I look back, it's like, you know, the EOA stuff is hard. Getting to NPC wallets, now getting smart contract wallets, then account abstraction. Like these things are what's going to allow like social key recovery and things to start happening where a single identity that I own actually for me is really simple. And that owns all these things. And it's probably not called a wallet address. I probably don't know what chains are. I might not even know what XMTP is. I just know that I have my ticket wallet. I know that I have my asset wallet. I know that I have my friend collector wallet and you probably don't even have to like understand all these concepts and therefore you have an identity that's associated with the wallet and a list of all the other things you own Um, but a lot of that has to happen more in a single screen Mm -hmm. easy way to do and I think if you use the products like hide my email or ramp they're very complicated in nature yet like when I give ramp to everyone in our company everyone instantly gets it because they've done an incredible job of user experience and we just need to have better design
3: it's almost like uh, the we want in Web three want we want the peer to peer aspect of you know everybody can contribute to the underlying infrastructure that empowers people to have unique uh, accounts tied to whatever um, services that they're looking to use, but that is very difficult in terms of scaling it to perform in the same way that people are used to the Web two experience in terms of doing it in a peer to peer context and then having nodes communicate between each other. In terms of creating that social graph, that doesn't create enough, that doesn't create too much bloat, in terms of redundant message passing, but then creates that experience that is exactly akin to the web two experience that you're talking about with Ramp. So, like, I don't know if you could speak to how does XMTP do that, the peer-to-peer stuff underneath. What do you? Uh, what do you mean underneath? So, like, under the hood, when when we're talking about like the usage of like a lot of a lot of the. Node clients that are in the space use uh, libp2peer for the communication, for yep. gossip subcommunication. So, like, how does XMTP do some of that lower level intercommunication communication between nodes?
2: Totally. Uh, you know, and what's interesting is, like, if you're asking about a user experience problem versus what we use underneath, I actually think we can build Web2 level quality experiences while also having like distributed node networks and doing all of the other stuff underneath. I don't know if you've ever seen, we have an app called uh, Converse here. And this is the WhatsApp for XMTP. And I don't know if you realize, it basically just looks like iMessage.
1: looks just like iMessage. We might not want to show that to the camera. So this is my
2: iMessage, right? And this is my XMTP um and and so the and i use this as my main messaging app now right you have your telegram you can scan here you have your ens name and you're able to just scan it download the app log in with any wallet and then all of your messages show up and your ability i think underneath what's powerful about having a distributed decentralized network is very simple it's that if i don't trust converse in the future i can delete converse and i can go to another app and my messages are portable and I think being able to own your communication like you own your assets is the, the shift where you're not locked into a WhatsApp, a Telegram, um, a Twitter DMs, right? The fact that like, imagine Twitter gets bought by an individual from being a public company and I don't like the person that runs it who can read all my DMs, I just can't take them with me. And I think the ability to have portable communication that the user owns is the reason why the distributed node network and the underneath stuff matters. But on the user experience side, our goal is to just—it should feel like iMessage. It should feel like web two messaging and be that simple. And I think the coolest thing about even you know the launch we did, just did with Coinbase Wallet is like it does—you know—it really does feel that way.
0: How do you? This is a technical podcast. Can you can you walk me through the life cycle of a message? Like if I send you a message on Converse, how does it go from me clicking send on my phone? to you on your phone. Totally. So there's an XMTP identity that's created
2: based on your wallet address. The um, private key is what's used as the encrypt- encryption and decryption mechanism. And then the XMTP network is the transport layer. And there's a distributed node network. We are the main operator of the nodes in that network today. Our plan is to progressively to over time so that there's more node operators running at the node layer. And then the private key on the other side, based on whatever application you're using, so it's not app specific, is the decryption mechanism by which the message gets decrypted in that application. And so, uh, you know, basically removing the app layer as the layer that owns your messages. And moving that to the key in the in the node it's network. It's definitely
0: like the way I see it, and this is the the I think the generally right way to think about the I guess app universe within Web3 is that like the infrastructure is the same for everyone. Totally. And what people are building is the user experience, the like the the candy, the eye candy, the features, the extra things and how I want it to look like. Um, and that and Maybe even like gluing some of these features together so that it's all in one app versus maybe I only want to do messaging versus I want to do messaging and applications. Totally. And, and like you said, the, the key feature there is that in the event that I don't like something, I can exit and never lose my data. There's no lockout. I don't lose my data. I don't lose my identity. I don't lose those things. I take it with me and try something else and it shows up.
2: And that's the user benefit. I think the coolest thing is the developer benefit because coming from the web2 world there's two there's two main things. The first one I think that is the most unique is that there's no cold start to the network. So the idea that actually you can build a unique experience but when you plug into the underlying network all of your conversations or relationships or the people you're bringing to it show up. That allows you to actually like kind of, you know, not have these walled gardens of silos of web2 networks that were like use my messaging app, I'll use the SMS phone number to find everyone on the app, to try to get everyone on it, to build the network. And this one, actually, the coolest moment of this is like when I log into Coinbase wallet and I've been using Converse for a year and all my messages show up and I just start using it and Coinbase launched payments. So now it's like I'm able to use my whole network and all the messages I've ever had and all my relationships are there. And now I can send USDC free globally, right? Because there's a new content, uh, type they innovated on called payments that's built into the experience. And so I I think what's cool for developers is actually like when you can port your network and then everyone can keep innovating on the UX and different features, you are able to actually not have the cold start problem and really just let people continue to get more features and uh, like new experiences like that. The other thing is having the underlying node infrastructure doing it in like a permissionless way where the last 15 years, every API got changed at Twitter, every single relationship got changed at Facebook, all the endpoints get changed and they force you to adopt it or they cut you off or they charge you $500,000 to get the Twitter data and they change it next month. Like I've been getting fucked by working on top of web two platforms for 15 years. My whole career, just cause I accidentally was messing around with Facebook photos in 2005, was built on being great partners to those companies and we were good partners to them, but it was so hard. It was so hard to work with Twitter in the early days to be the number one partner with Facebook Messenger. We launched 1-800-Flowers doing bots with commerce, doing payments on Messenger in 2014. And Zuck was like, this is the future of messaging and businesses and brands. We were the company assist that built that. And it's just so complicated when they're telling you, you have to do this. Here's the rules. Here's the business. We'll cut you off. Here's V2. We're cutting you off again. Like that was the relationship my personal like driver to do this company is to have a new developer relationship where actually it's more valuable for developers to actually extract the value out of it to bring the network and be able to innovate on top of it and not cut off people like i feel like that is the whole reason to do this
3: so part of part of what i'm understanding your complaint is from these large companies that you used to work with is they change things without kind of a conversation with the people who are using their products. Um, Facebook, you, you know, like some of their stuff is closed source, some of it is open source. And Web3, you know, much of communication protocols try to be as open source as possible because people can take pieces and then plug them into their own projects potentially. Same thing in the way that you know um, Libp2p for IPFS was useful for you node know, communications for all the other projects. And so. Um, does XMTP have some sort of like open source way that people can actually see you know under the hood how you guys do the communication stuff
2: for sure it's fully open source oh wow okay XMTP is open source and our goal is to do everything in the open and run it as a fully open source protocol
0: how do you foster that collaborative nature like how do you get people to um, leverage what you've built versus redundantly build something else what do you mean uh, like how is like how do you, how do you get people to reuse and collaborate with you on making that feature set better yeah. instead of saying like we're gonna build it we're gonna build the same thing ourselves and try it a different way like that's the kind of the goal right if you want that shared infrastructure you need groups of people who are vying for basically the same audience totally. to work together to build the same infrastructure and then some alternative piece on top of it it's like you need both you need to run a business and you want some type of ability to continue paying your employees and build things, but you also want to work with all of the other people doing the same thing. How do you do that? Yeah, I think to go back to both questions, I think I'll answer both.
2: So the first one around the, the past companies and the Facebooks and everything always changing things, I don't think it was their fault. I think the model of then was you have to have the attention because advertising was the only business yeah, value is
0: data. Yeah.
2: And th- it had to feed who owned the attention and who owned the attention was who owned the app. And if you didn't own the app, you couldn't serve the ads. And that was the model. I think to answer your question is two things. One, doing everything in the public, we drive everything to the, discuss- to the discussions forum. We try to do everything around every product release all Uh, bringing in the community, driving that. It's all coordination. And I think coordinating all that, we have XIPs doing it very much like a lot of the improvement proposals of other protocols. We take a lot of inspiration from and trying to run that process. The thing that matters more, though, is I do think that protocols today have the ability to create economic incentives to actually run an ecosystem that isn't driven by advertising, that isn't driven by I need to own the attention to have ongoing value at the protocol level and the application level to have a better relationship going forward. And I think, for me, that feels like that is the innovation that allows for a new incentive that doesn't mean we have to go build the app layer and we don't build any app. So I think the last thing is, other people in the space have built a lot of like, hey, we'll build a cool app too, we haven't. And I think our statement there is that we're not gonna build applications and we are just gonna focus on the protocol and work on helping and enabling innovative applications to build on top.
0: Um, that's, you know. That helps with fostering that kind of like ecosystem of applications if you're not opinionatedly building one of them. Totally. Or ours shows up first because it has the name of the protocol.
2: Or a lot of things are wrong and hard. If, if I was Coinbase Wallet and I searched for XNTP and our app showed up before theirs, that feels not fair. Or even Converse, who's more of a startup, um, or the, the whole Lens ecosystem or the DM layer of Lens as well they should be driving the value at the application later layer and showing up in search and we should be serving that at the network layer but i think we have to make the economics work where the whole circle works right and i think that's the innovation is that actually protocols can have ongoing like economies that are able to fund the ecosystem that aren't driven by whatever application extracts the most attention drives an advertising budget which means they win and then cut out everybody else
3: so when you're talking about like XMTP as a protocol and kind of competing with SEO in terms of priority when you look up, you know, how does Lens work or um, how does Farcaster work or any of the kind of application layer projects that use XMTP under the hood? How do you guys kind of like, what's, what's the happy medium in terms of people knowing that under the hood XMTP is being used for these apps?
2: I could see a world in five years where no one knows XMTP exists but the interoperability to do to do our goal is to be a secure interoperable messaging layer and i think if a lens app can send a message to a wallet app or send a message to any dap or send a message to the whatsapp of xmtp and any wallet address can send a message from a to b that interoperable network of reach of can the message actually get delivered to me is the thing and so what we care about most is do we have the most reach and do we have an interoperable layer and developers know that they can reach it? So building developer tools to let them query the network to see all the identities. Can they reach those identities? What applications? Like making sure the developer world knows that the interoperability is growing, the reach is growing, the network is growing, to me is the thing that like where we need to be known. At the user application layer, I think they just want to know that their .eth handle can reach their .lens handle or their .lens handle can reach the, uh, any anonymous wallet address or an email address that's got account abstraction actually can communicate to a phone number? I didn't even know that was possible, but it actually is today. Like what's cool about what's happening is that all of a sudden you can truly have like a universal inbox or like a fully interoperable inbox where an email address can communicate with a phone number. Uh, And that kind of wasn't possible either, which is a cool, another way to think about it. It's not even, it feels really web three, but because you have a kind of shared wallet address underneath the account abstraction, All of a sudden, now any identity ever can communicate with each other.
1: Nice. So, after 15 years of getting fucked by Web 2, do you feel like... like... I can be the
2: the, the, liner. Name of the episode. (laughs) There's my YouTube
1: header. Do you feel like in Web 3, you're doing the fucking? No, not at all.
2: I actually (laughs) feel like it's the sole thing to drive. (laughs) (laughs) I I think it's the... I even Every language we use, it's not on top of. We say we're building with. I, I think this only works... Um, if you think about like marketplace or network dynamics, the goal of a successful marketplace or a supply and demand dynamic should be that the network has a lesser take rate than the app. So if you're moving the value to the application layer Mm -hmm. and reducing the value at the network layer, then it should drive more incentives for more applications to join and actually grow bigger. And then if it's big enough. The network layer can actually have enough incentive to be valuable because it's huge. Um, And I think that dynamic has to be true and that allows us to actually build a different relationship where thousands of applications can actually flourish. I mean, I look at it like email, like SMTP exists and trillions of dollars has been created on top of email. Like the amount of like, there's been $30 billion email marketing companies, probably more, right? It's the tool everyone uses every single day. Outlook and Microsoft Suite and all of that massive. And I think for me to create that
0: in a new way is just the most exciting opportunity. That's it. That begs the question, how do you make money? If you're building protocols, not focusing on applications, what drives revenue and growth for XMTV other than adoption? But there's not an obvious revenue generating model if you're just allowing applications to send messages to each other. I think
2: there's a lot of ideas here, right? The one that seems that it's the most interesting is if you can actually get a new network built and the ability for users to be more in control of their attention using, say, on-chain data, right? I actually feel like the true innovation is to innovate on the opt-in. And if you think about the opt-in of SMS and email as the thing that even the the laws in different countries have different rules around protecting the consent for the opt-in. But if you can actually move that where brands will happily pay for more opt-in opt-ins, right? They have for years. And if you can actually move that to a more public directory, that a consent mechanism now the whole ecosystem uses to make a better relationship where people have more control and they can take their consent with them, not just their inbox. So the whole ecosystem has to follow the consent rules that could live with your identity. Now you're starting to get to a world where every single wallet address, every single address, every single identity, actually there's a consent mechanism that every time someone opts in, there's a value that's transferring. And most of that could go to the app layer. A little bit of that could go to the protocol layer. A little bit of that could go to the user. And I think that area of really... And that's the thing where I... Coming from where I came from, that lives in a black box, right? Mm -hmm. If you go from an SMS tool, that's... Well, that was always the
0: value, right? If you connect everything, you control... You you have that data capture. You can sell that data.
2: And I think that's a public good, though, too, Mm because that lives in a black box. And if you put that public... And you have a public registry of identity with a private consent, and now you're able to let the whole ecosystem know who has the consent to talk to who in a very verified way that isn't app-specific. Today, you go to an SMS tool, and then you go to a new one, and they're like, hey, we're going to spend six weeks looking at your website, checking out your language, making sure that you didn't steal these numbers, making sure your language is right so people aren't confused, you're following the can spam laws, all these things. But actually, you could do this in a way where let that live where anyone plugging into the network already knows if two wallets had the consent mechanism that the user opted into. And I think in there lies a future of like attention of how you control it. And I, I think there's a big opportunity for the monetization of the entire network in there.
3: So this is something I've been thinking about for years now, which is Same. pulling groups of people and allowing that group of people to be dynamically sizing based on how and who they want to contribute information from their own identities to groups that are willing to pay for that. For instance, um, if you were able to track health informatics for a group of people who are interested in subsidizing their health insurance and they were willing to pull together to sell their information to an insurance company and that insurance company was able to incentivize them to together have a discounted rate for insurance, you could do that for every industry Totally. Yeah,
2: I love stuff like that too. I mean, that's a little different, uh, but also totally possible. Which is more of like using your ability to publish things on chain to to almost be a signal to what we want, and then aggregate groups of
0: people around it, so other people could join that. But movement. Like that's not possible until you have that connection layer, right? You need that. because like what we what we've noticed in the history of blockchain so far is. Um, competition across incompatible blockchains and now in this era of bridging we're trying to figure out like how do we actually move messages from one place to the other and when you think about an address on a chain it's similar to the identity situation and so as people start understanding that wallets are just managements of various types of identity yeah and how we connect them and the various ecosystems in which you use them where you're keeping assets on different blockchains like that's the connection layer you're talking about but messaging layer between these things that allows you to create that opt-in network because you can talk from anywhere to any other place, but um, you need some like transformation layer in between. And so you can't build things like what he's talking about unless you have that glue that puts everything together, which is that communication layer.
2: Totally. Uh, And what's interesting about what you said is like, it's the reason why we went chain agnostic. And We were focused mostly on the public-private key pair related to the uh, Kind of identity at, and the wallet not the chain And so, you know, we're not we're, we're focused on the EVM community right now But we are not dependent on EVM at all And I think it's actually the most exciting thing is to think about communication between identities that really the chain
1: doesn't matter what chain you're on hmm. So you mentioned the uh, Universal Inbox That sounds promising, but, you know, universal inbox equals universal problems. Like, that's a lot of messages. And more messages, more problems. How do you guys mitigate spam? Like, how is spam mitigated? Uh, You know, I can imagine if anyone knows a universal protocol to send me a message, then I'm getting messages from anyone and everyone. So how do you guys mitigate that?
2: Yeah, I think it's it's like the the question everyone talks about the spam layer Um, the cool thing is like one application like a converse is like a universal inbox Uh, but other applications can actually filter differently so if you think of the lens ecosystem an app called orb they're actually using your on-chain data to give you the inbox you want so if i tap lens i only see anyone who is on lens who's messaging me but even further kind of like what twitter did right if you go to more of like how we can innovate on dms on the lens app you can even say lens only follows right so your messaging inbox actually is using on-chain signals to be better filters for the inbox um, so i think that's like base level stuff cool. obviously there's a lot of spam stuff we can do in the future um, right now it's really trying to innovate at the app layer to then figure out what to bring to the protocol layer but i think the, the most important thing is using stuff like that where the, the user is able to have more control at the application layer over how they see their inbox. Everyone's doing DM-like stuff around repro- reprove, reprove, approve and block, et cetera. So like the Coinbase Wallet application, it's all based on if you have no pass-chain interactions, there's an approve inbox, you have to approve the message. So very much like Instagram, Twitter type DM model, not just like an open free-for-all. But I think what's cool is the startups, like the orbs and the Lensers and stuff, kind of innovating on the inbox where Based on my PO app, filter my inbox, based on lens, filter my inbox, based on past interactions. Uh, This one called Matchmaker is super cool, which if you go in here, it actually is using all the on-chain data. Uh, All the on-chain data to, to build a better recommendation graph. And what's fascinating, like this is my fiance, and I didn't build this algorithm. What's cool is this is a company called AirStack and Converse aggregating on-chain data, but you can say transacted with you, Lens Mutual follows, owns the uh, PO app that met Patricio in wow. November, 2022. And so, and it's actually really good. This was like in a hypothesis a year and a half ago. I was like, imagine the, like using SMS, every messaging app the last 15
0: years. Find makes your sense friends the on more the you, the more you have that aggregated layer, you can do entity analysis across a bunch of different sources totally. and make good recommendations.
2: And And so the assumption and the hypothesis was good. And I was like, I don't know if it's really gonna be like, is it really gonna show me people I wanna message? And when I saw this, like this is Lazarin from A16Z, transacted with you, Warpcast, Mutual Follow, both eligible for ENS airdrop, right? So I know he was really early in the ENS community. We both follow each other on Farcaster and we've transacted, right? And like some of them, I mean, this is insane, right? It's
0: like- What that also does is really puts on display what you have out there and what can be aggregated. And uh, that's the general idea that I think I'm trying to like, think about people finally understanding is, why do I have these assets? And what can you do with them? Because we, we went through this like NFT explosion, people yeah. bought them and you can't fucking do anything with them. Totally. It's now where people are starting to understand is like, I have this oh, thing did we? because it connects yeah. me with people. <laughs> 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 and so like, you can see that the assets are actually useful for a context that connects you with the community, and then when you combine those things, you get better and better filter mechanisms on totally like, this is someone this is my, these are my people yeah Based on they've done this they've done this, they've done this, they've been around for this long, and you have this entire ego world of past history and interaction that you can filter to then make it easier to find them and
2: and, and them. you see so your point earlier this is the single coolest thing that i've seen in any, any developer build that i didn't know would actually be this good but i thought maybe it could be possible and to the question earlier about like anonymity this person right here okay i have three things in common with i don't know who they are but i do know the context and i can just click chat and i'm opening it I'm already fucking talking. Uh, so like, like that's that, that I think is the magic of what you asked earlier. And I didn't really, I didn't really know if this would be that powerful, but I feel like this actually should be probably the thing that's starting to make its way across all the applications
3: Yeah. where you're starting to
2: realize the connection, like possibilities that you didn't even know existed. And when I saw that, I was like, Holy crap. And it, I mean, I didn't even know I was talking to that person, but like, that stuff's magic. And I think that's the kind of stuff where it goes from, why do I have all this stuff to like, wow, this stuff actually brings a lot of value to me.
3: And then what's important is now that you are able to kind of create those filters that get you to key in on who you want to talk to that you have had previous context, shared context with. I think in order to make that more private, you start integrating the zero knowledge component, right? So that even though you've had shared context with these people in the past, it doesn't completely dox who you are and it doesn't dox them, even through any amount of connections you may have. 100%.
2: You yeah. could imagine that experience right there. If you clicked on the chat, I've never chatted before, but it knows I have a bunch of shared context. This is where your question earlier about like UX. The UX should be hey, the app is saying, do you wanna share? And you're like, default, no. This, this, and this. Right? Yeah, and I'm like, this, this, this. And that is actually just managed at the app layer with wallet addresses in the background. But at the fro- foreground, it's just what information do you want to share? And I think uh, when I see teams like this building like this type of experience, I'm really optimistic that like that type of user experience is close.
1: Nice. You got your fiance into crypto, you said? Yeah. Man. It's Joanne, we got to talk. Gotta talk.
2: <laughs> you know what? You know what actually happened? <laughs> this is, it, it's cool, right? So she actually runs a country radio music show. She has okay. one of the largest country music shows in the United States. Plug it. And <laughs> it's Let's called pull. Katie and Company. There we go. Uh, yeah. And yeah, that, that should be the YouTube header. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but what's interesting is I got her Katie Neal.eth, right? Mm-hmm. But I had her do it. And it was, it was painful as fuck, right? <laughs> Signing up. It was like, I forget what wallet we we're using. I was like, go use Rainbow Wallet. It's supposed to be better UX. It's You're an like, auction. You got to do a couple of transactions. How do <laughs> I even buy it? Oh, use use your Apple card on Rainbow. Oh, it doesn't actually work. Okay, go to Coinbase. What's Coinbase? Oh, I was like, oh. All right, we'll do this. Three hours later, whatever. But she buys kateneal.eth, <laughs> and I was pretty early on, right? And then the airdrop comes, and all of a sudden, she's like, I have $5,000. She's What's like, is this money? And I was like, <laughs> right? She's like, can I put this towards student loans? And I'm like, yeah, you could. She's like, I'm gonna go long. I like ENS, right? And I'm like I'm like, all right, let's go. And she still to the day has ENS and et cetera. And that was the thing. And so it's it's just fascinating watching like the power of that and the, the kind of like the utility of an identity and now she owns her name. And also getting that value. That was like a light bulb for her. And then she's you know, she's buying different NFTs, she's trying different stuff, she's minting some for her birthday, stuff like that. So it's kinda of cool to see her get into it. But uh yeah. I think it's cool when
0: uh, people outside of our little world kind of find we, we made it easier for them to contribute and participate. And it's not just like, what are you nerds doing? Totally. And then they see the things that we got excited about. Like, oh, I have $5,000 in my wallet. Now where would this come from? Who yeah. did what? Who no. did what? You're I can use this? <laughs> and and uh, I think we're getting better and better at that through applications like that that allow us to kind of get good recommendation based on previous history and things I own. like you've just recently gone through an integration with coinbase so yeah. that you can chat via coinbase wallet uh congratulations what's what's next what's the goal what are, what are you all trying to build towards and do over the next three months year yeah
2: i mean the coinbase wallet partnership has been incredible and i think working with them has been awesome since day one i was kind of like it feels like wallets are the heart of the universe and so everyone's like oh messaging's been tried before you know there's all these other examples in the past and i was like how do you actually we've been doing it for a while (laughs) (laughs) and i'm like how do you actually add value to the wallet application layer and how do you make sure that everyone in the ecosystem knows that you can reach the wallet and you can actually have the end-to-end loop where people can have one-to-one relationships in the wallet, but also any dap or application or creator can actually finish that loop and, you know, the demos that I would see all the time where everyone would be like, look at all these Dune dashboards, you know, and be like tons of wallet <laughs> addresses and all these attestations and all this stuff. And then I'm like, and what, what are we going to do? And they're like, uh, you can't really do anything. And I'm like, why can't you create that last step? And so for me, I think we're focused on how do we be the wallet in box? How do we get more wallets to adopt so that we're the ubiquitous network in all of Web3? And if we are the default network for communication for wallets, I think that attracts thousands of developers and users and individuals who want to use and reach the wallet. And if those two pillars are true, like a supply and demand marketplace, uh, I think that's our focus right now. Our focus for today is on EVM, but I think all of Web3 and actually the ability to use communication to cross chains without even really feeling it is probably the coolest thing where that goes in the future. Um, But that's kind of where we're focused now.
1: Cool,
3: that is a hard problem. Totally, yeah, I mean,
2: that's also why I think the focus really matters. Like we're just doing secure DMs for wallets for developers to be able to reach the wallet so that users can talk to wallet addresses in EVM. Like if I was like really clearly to, you know, publicly and to our team, that's like our goal. Like let's just make this work for this ecosystem so that that end-to-end loop actually drives a lot of- Wallet-to-wallet secure chat. Done. Uh, there's, and then you can go like, oh, I could do so many other things, like for sure. But I think if we can just do that and add a lot of value to this ecosystem, that gives us maybe the opportunity to do more.
1: Nice. Well, you guys wanna wrap? Yeah. I got it. In 10 words or less, can you describe XMTP? Secure text messaging for Web3.
3: I'll, I'll chime in with another question. This was our, our old question is what you do hard.
2: Um, I feel like building anything from scratch going from a made up idea in your head to something actually works. is harder than it looks. I think the answer to the question is it's always really hard for everyone working on it, but I convinced myself before I start it that it won't be as hard. That's fair. Two and a half years in, I'm like, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) It's always as hard. And I think whatever that thing is of like the delusion right before you start something, I remember the day, you know, I was CEO of my last company for almost a decade and I remember the day we sold it, I was like, I'll never do that again. And I was like, that was, it was, it was hard. And I was building chatbots in 2013, and I don't know if you checked, but the chatbots weren't working in 2013. And, <laughs> and now they're here, right? I was, so we were a decade early, and I think being really early is the hardest thing. It's the thing I ask about now. I was like, is it too early? You know, where does the value accrue? Can we stay alive long enough to really capture a new network, a new communication protocol? So like, we have to really think long-term to think 10, 15 year intervals. And when I was doing assist, it was that same thing, but like, it never happened. We were innovating all the best messaging experiences, et cetera. But Facebook messenger didn't work. Apple business chat didn't work. Google business chat didn't work. I was the first to launch on all of them. That's millions of dollars of just like experiments that really didn't work. Chatbots didn't really work. So the only business was chatbots for call centers. I'm flying around to Mason, Ohio, helping, you know, the Macy's call center team have like 2% of queries answered by a chatbot. That was kind of shitty. And so staying alive is like my number one startup kind of value. But at the end of that, it was so painful but, and we ended up, you know, it, being able to have like a decent exit and because call center companies wanted boss, etc. et cetera. But the, the pain was so great that I was like, I'll never do that again. And I was like, I will never do that again. But whatever happens in that two year lockup of forgetting all the pain, <laughs> I don't know what it is about human, human nature, whatever. And then, uh, you like just kind of feel like uh, it won't be this bad. <laughs> and I think it is really hard. The thing that keeps me, I think more sane is having a longer term vision and really thinking long-term and being able to reduce the surface area to try to have the opportunity to build something great. And so uh, my goal to make it less hard for our team and our developers in our community is to keep reducing the surface area as it always wants to keep expanding. And if I've learned anything, my first startup was the opposite. I had tons of ideas that I'd always bring more, let's do Apple business chat, let's go to Google, Google's calling, let's go here. And I think that's the thing that's really hard to, to like deal with. You always like your ego, you're like, fuck, let's just do more, let's go broader, let's, another brand wants a, and you do all this custom shit. And I think the thing that I have more confidence in now is saying no and trying always. It's always a, a push but just really trying to come back to like, we do secure DMs and that's all, you know, we do secure DMs, we're just starting on EVM, let's focus on the wallet community. And I think trying to have that like ability to focus, hopefully helps our team to make it just a little easier because it is always hard.